please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, and I'm your social worker with a microphone, keeping you connected on air with information and conversation. And you're listening to World Talk Radio uh, and VoiceAmericaVariety.com. We've got several guests on the show today. Actually, we usually have three. Today we're going to have four because my good friend Joan London is going to be on the show uh, for probably just, for a couple minutes because she, um, and as many of you know, Joan London uh, was the guest host on Good Morning America for many years, um, and she uh, has really is a longtime health and family advocate. She's de- dedicated much of her career to helping women find health, happiness, balance in their lives, and she's just about to premiere some of her great gifts. She's created these wonderful gifts for the holiday season on QVC, so she'll be coming up later in the show. But uh, right now, our first guest is author William Gladstone. He's author of Tapping the Source, and his book, believe it or not, provides solutions to the daily challenges we all face. Uh, Most of us today, we want to find inner peace. We want to have balance in our lives. We don't seem to be able to do that because of all the stuff that we have to take care of, technology, running around, taking care of family, work, balancing everything. We need that tiny slice of heaven in our overstimulated, overtech lives. And William Gladstone, who is an author, uh, is here to tell us how to do that. You can go to his website, tappingdaily.com. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, William. It's a pleasure to be on. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, you I hopefully you're going to provide the answers that we've all been waiting for, because I think most of us can really identify with all of this kind of racing around. We're looking for, I put happiness in quotations, looking for some kind of a balance in our lives, but we're not able to do that for some reason. We don't seem to be able to tap into it, but you're going to tell us how we can tap into the source so we will be able to find that balance. Well, I'll get you all pointed in the right direction, and it really is in the book Tapping the Source. The book is a representation of the original concepts of Charles Hanel's master key system. And Charles Hanel was an incredible individual. He lived in St. Louis at the turn of the century, from the 19th to the 20th century, and he created a process that he started to... Uh, make available, and people like Napoleon Hill found it, and Napoleon Hill credits all of his own work in Think and Grow Rich to Charles Hanel. And Charles Hanel was a practical person. He was a business person. He was a self-made entrepreneur. He started work at the age of 14 in a frying pan factory, and by the time he was 40 years old, he owned cattle ranches, gold mines, businesses. And his way of giving back was to take the wisdom that had helped him manifest and created the Master Key System. And when I was given a copy of his book about a year and a half ago, I did not know who he was, but it really resonated his story because he was a a true American and someone who lived a normal life and yet was able to combine his knowledge of both Western and Eastern technology, if you will, 
And at the end of each one of his lessons, he had 24 lessons, he told everyone, now find a quiet place and think upon these things. He was really telling people that they needed to meditate. Well, so, William, how do you do that? Because I think, I mean, you just hit on the dilemma I think that most of us face. Mm-hmm. We want to be successful. We want to get out right. there. We have to accomplish all this stuff. But at the same time, how, you know, do, well, this you, know, you is talk the about meditation. Of, of, but, to accomplish no. a lot of things in our busy world, the first step is actually to go within. That's what Charles Hanel discovered. The very first thing you need to do is to align yourself with, with what he called universal mind, what we are calling the source. Some people call it your intuition. You need to take five minutes a day, basically. And I know a lot of your listeners, you know, they, they have children, they have a hundred things they have to do, they have jobs. But to be truly effective in all of those activities, the first person you need to take care of is yourself. And the first part of yourself you need to take care of is your health and your own connection to source. Because we are all connected to a divine spiritual source of information and well-being. So the very first thing that we have people do, and it only takes a minute, is we have seven focus phrases. Combined, they might take five to seven minutes. You spend 30 seconds to a minute focusing on each of these phrases. The first one is focus enjoyably inward. This is really important because the natural state is actually one of joy. You are part of the joyful nature of life itself, and we forget that. Take a second, focus on this, and then you go through our process. We have seven steps, and you, and you come into the quiet and connect. And once you do, then you can think about what you really want, what you really need. And most of what people really want and need to be happy is not necessarily only the material. Of course, you need to take care of your health. You need to take care of the basics of life, and you need to have some luxuries too. All of that is important, but they are not the most important things. The most important thing is your own sense of who you are and your own sense of internal well-being. And once well, William, you have tell that, us how to do that on a practical basis. You've got seven steps in, in right. the book that you follow, obviously, very closely in terms of how to do this. But in the right. context of, let's say, one's daily life, getting up, having to go to work, get the kids ready for school, get your, you know, We're talking get about ready for and if, your you know, own if you have a young business. Child and, you, know, you wake up in the morning, time. what do you do? Well, the very first thing we would suggest, if you can, would be to go through the five minutes of the focus phrases before you start taking care of your children or, you know, getting ready for work. If that's not possible, and in some situations it's not, try to find five minutes anytime during the day or at the end of the day. It's just taking five minutes for yourself and realizing that you need to connect. And in this process of reconnecting, you're going to find a source of energy and happiness that is going to propel you through your day. Tell us what you do. I'm always interested in, you know, you personally. First of all, how did you, how does this work for you? I mean, when describe your morning. One of the I wrote the book is I, very blessed in some ways, I naturally was doing what Charles Hanel was talking about as his success in business. I've been a literary agent for 30 years, very successful. I, you know, represent people like Eckhart Tolle, and I've naturally been of service to others. I didn't create my business really with the idea of, you know, making money was the most important thing. It was really helping other people. I've helped, you know, hundreds of people who were completely unknown become authors. And that's the basis of my success. And what Charles Snell talks about is that the basis of the law of attraction, which he really calls the law of love, is giving. And as you give out positive energy, 
you will draw back positive energy. In my own life, I've experienced that. And once you have this experience, you wake up knowing that you have something important to do each and every day. I actually used to wake up for many years when I was building my business with kind of a crazy idea. How am I going to save the universe today? I'm needed. I'm important. How am I going to do that? And not so much for me because the ego me, but in terms of how do I serve other people. And this has always been, for me, sort of the instant way of connecting with what we now have created in our course, you know, Focus Enjoyably Inward. I just naturally woke up with this sense of joy and purpose. And that is the key to happiness. If everyone out there realizes how important their daily life is and how they have a role to play, whether it's just raising their child or at work or with coworkers, and they get this sense of joy just from knowing that today they're going to do something to help someone else, you're halfway there already. Well, William, how does it fit in the context of, let's say, today's uh, economy, for instance? Because people are waking up thinking, how am I going to take care of myself and my family? I've lost my job. I, I, I don't make as much money as I used to make. I'm, I'm concerned about, you know, uh, paying my mortgage, all of those kinds of things. So how does this, because I think this, this, this formula is needed, but how do you kind of hook people into it to realize... Well, you- Hey, you know, you, take you a moment. To, do so. You have to start with the realization that where you are right now is exactly where you should be. And that's true even if it means that you're facing foreclosure in your home and you've just lost your job and you seem to have no economic solution in front of you. You do. You will. The universe is here to provide for you. Your natural state is actually one of joy. Now, you have to deal with these very real financial issues if this is your situation. The first step, though, is you have to take care of yourself, and you have to realize you're going to be okay no matter what happens. You may lose your house. You're going to be okay. You have to have that realization first. Then you will put yourself in a more positive state and start dealing with the real issues. Maybe you have to apply for one of these government you know, bailout situations. Maybe you have to take a job that is not something that you originally thought was appropriate. That depends on each situation. I don't have the answer for you know, whoever is listening. I don't know their, the details. But I do know that there is a solution. Part of it is you have to start having a positive attitude, and that comes from truly connecting with what we call the source and knowing that you are protected at the highest level, that you do have an important role to play, and that you will be able to find a solution. If you think that it's hopeless, it will be hopeless. So, William, if we go to the website, tappingdaily.com, uh, what, what are we going to find? Because I know that's one of Captain your sources. Besides your book, I you also have the website. That, yeah, we, it, it's, to connect to the other websites, we have tappingdaily.org, which is where we have a lot of tools going up. That site, though, I don't think is going up till next week. We do have tappingthesourcemovie.com and tappingthesourcebook.com, which has more information about the book and the film. We've created a film called Tapping the Source, which uh, comes out on Friday, which is the story of over 110 people all of whom are very successful people, artists, musicians, billionaires in some cases, entrepreneurs, philanthropists. And I asked each of them, what is your source of personal happiness and how do you connect, stay connected to that source? And very interestingly, the answers parallel the information that we had already written about in Tapping the Source, the book. And the book is the specific practical technique and the film shows you that the concepts of service to others and the sense of gratitude for what you already have are kind of the keys 
pursue happiness. So it's a very strong combination that first inspires people to realize that it's not just sort of an airy-fairy idea that taking five minutes a day and focusing on, on sort of your connection to the divine is going to help. It has helped in different ways. Not everyone in our film uses the same language. Not everyone in our film meditates, but they do something equivalent. They walk in nature. They take five minutes. They take, in some cases, longer. They do some physical exercise. They do something that is specifically for them, their connection to a sense of source. Yeah, and I think that's the strength of the whole thing because I think sometimes many of us will say, well, you know, it works for artists and musicians and people. You've got billionaires. You have business people. You have all the whole combination of people in different jobs and different professions. Um, Great having you on the show this morning. Tapping the Source. Tapping the Source can be bought at bookstores everywhere online. You can go to the website, tappingdaily.com, or you said the Tapping... Is tapping the other the website that's coming up in the week is Tapping... tapping Are you still on? Yeah. Yeah. Tappingdaily.org? Yes, that'll be up hopefully no later than Monday. <laughs> we're just <laughs> All right, well, we're counting on it. I'm going to wake up on Monday and, see, and, and try to go to it. Anyway, thanks so much, William... William Gladstone, author of Tapping the Source. Um, have a great day. We'll be back in a minute. I'm Catherine Zotz, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Coming up next is Joan London. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. He'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnist. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. 
And joining me this morning is our good friend Joan Ludden. She's here with us today. Many of you woke up to her for, what, I guess it was 20 years on Good Morning America, a longtime health and family advocate. Joan Ludden has dedicated much of her career to helping women find health, happiness, and balance in their lives, which is what we try to do on our show. But now Joan is about to premiere some great gifts for the upcoming holiday season on QVC. So she's got about five minutes for us. And she's going to tell us all about it. Nice to see, nice to talk to you this morning, Joan. How are you? Oh, I am terrific. It's great to be back with you. And I'm so excited because, you know, I started Joan London Home uh, a year ago, and we had a great, successful launch on QVC with all of our bedding lines. But for the holidays, I came out with, with throws. They're uh, popcorn knit throws that are oversized, and they're scrumptious and yummy and Part of my reason for doing throws is that, you know, people are really trying to stretch their dollars, and yet they still want their house to look nice, and they still want to send a beautiful gift, but they don't want to break the bank doing it. So we were able to come out with our throws for only twenty nine twenty five, and they come in all those wonderful fall colors of butter and spice and chocolate and ivory and, of course, red for the holidays. And then I came out with a whole collection of faux fur throws, and they are so soft, I need sense of vision instead of television to show them. <laughs> but I'll be on QVC next Tuesday, and I'm going to be on the gift shows at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. and again at 10 p.m. And we have faux mink and with wonderful tassels on the end, again, oversized, everything for under $50. We've got, um, we've got sets of these so soft, these like dip-dye throws and pit matching pillows if you can imagine those things that they sometimes you'll you'll see that they make for little babies like a, a one by one, and you think they should make those bigger for adults. You know, Joe, so, you are so, we so right. I actually, and it's not attra- it's not so attractive. It's not like what you're describing. I mean, you could get a half a dozen of those gifts and give them to everybody. Oh uh, I got a little baby one for myself a long time ago, and I thought, boy, I wish they had these for adults. So exactly. I mean, that was part of the impetus for doing it, Catherine. And, you know, we have them in all the colors, ivory, camel, taupe, kind of a gray, um, kind of that ranch mink color, you know, dark chocolate, uh, black toffee, and then, of course, like a wine cranberry. And they just are so soft, and they're big and scrumptious. I mean, I, it's so funny because I have my two little boys who are five and seven. Every night they say, I want fuzzy wuzzy. <laughs> and I put these these incredibly soft throws over them, and they say, no, I want them on me. So I said, okay. So I put them on them, and then I pull up the sheet and the blanket. So, I mean, these are for the kids. They're for us. They're for Grandma and Grandpa. Uh-huh. They are easy to pack, to bring as gifts. I mean, they're very practical. You can use them anywhere in the house. What a great idea. They're washable. And they're washable. That's Actually, that's number one for me. They're washable. I know. I mean, because people don't want to spend the money these days out doing dry cleaning. And, you know, the the least expensive way to feel like you changed up your house is to add a beautiful, you know, throw or pillow to your sofa or change up your tabletop or your, or your uh, bedding. And it just, you know, you come in and you smile. I mean, it's something very little. You don't spend that much money. But, of course, right now everyone's looking for that perfect gift, something they can find that they know is going to look great 
that's not going to cost them too much money. Yeah, and, and Joan, it does was, change the look of your house. If you have one of those throws in different colors, yes. and you just put another, you can add some other things that kind of go with the colors. It can change your whole bedroom, your whole living room without having to spend a lot of money. Oh, that's right. Like for yeah. $30, 40 $50, you look like you had a decorator come in. Yeah, exactly. Great gift. Okay, let's just, because we have to say goodbye, but, and, and you're going to be on the show again, and we're going to talk oh, about yeah. this, I think, later on, closer to the holidays in more detail, but we just want to make sure that listeners know that Joan is going to premiere some of these gifts, and they're fabulous gifts, uh, on QVC November 16th. Do I have it that's, right? That's right. That's next Tuesday, and I'll be on three times. And, of course, anyone can also go to qvc.com and just put in John London Home, and, and you'll be taken to the throws. Terrific. Great having you on, and we'll talk to you soon, right before the, when the Christmas season starts. You got it. Thanks, okay. Catherine. Thank you, Joan. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. We have our next guest, and uh, he's just uh, waiting to talk to us right now, is John Locke. He's author of Eavesdropping, an Intimate History which is interesting. Most of us have done eavesdropping. I know I have. I love to eavesdrop. But apparently eavesdropping is something that is like, is indigenous to our culture. It's all, it's all, it's part of our culture and it's important and this kind of intimate process of eavesdropping is something that we all do but it is something maybe we don't admit to. Sometimes it's unintentional. Sometimes it is intentional. Um, but we're going to see where eavesdropping, how well, the evolution of eavesdropping and how it fits into our culture today, particularly with social media. Welcome to the show, John. How are you? I'm just fine, Catherine. Thank you. Great to have you on. Eavesdropping, that's one of my favorite topics. I love eavesdropping. Well, we all do it, don't we? We might as well love it. We do. And you're, I, I didn't mention you are a professor at CUNY, uh, professor of linguistics, which is interesting. How does that fit into uh, your interest in eavesdropping? Well, it fits in the sense that uh, linguists are usually pretty interested in human communication, and there's a great deal of communication that occurs in eavesdropping. The main difference is that when people talk, they normally have the impression that they're donating information to their listeners. In the case of eavesdroppers, they're acquiring information by theft. <laughs> I never thought about it that way. Is it by is it information by theft? So should we feel guilty about that? No, not at all. In fact, uh, we'd be in worse shape uh, than just feeling guilty if we didn't do this because uh, it's frequently the source of a great deal of information that we need to know. All right, so why do we need to know it? Because you say in your book eavesdropping is a, a form of communication. Which you, um, What do you mean? How is it a form of communication? How do we use it? How does it fit into our society? Why is it good? Why do we need it? Okay. Well, well do it. Uh-huh. the beginning of that is that we, we do it because we evolved uh, the desire to do this sort of thing. We are the descendants uh, going back uh, six million or more, far more years than that, really, uh, of individuals who could not have survived if they hadn't uh, paid attention to what other people were up to, as it were. And up to is probably a pretty good term because... Your competitors certainly don't want you to know what they're planning or thinking of doing, and uh, predators and uh, prey uh, will not uh, will either get you or will not be there for you, respectively, if you don't uh, uh, keep an eye out and an ear tuned. And um, so we come from individuals that were like that, uh, couldn't have survived without it, and so we have this appetite. It's an immense appetite. It seems to be insatiable, and throughout history. Uh, you can see all kinds of evidence of uh, people acting on this particular impulse or appetite, 
prying into the lives of others. It was made illegal. But at the same time, uh, people that did it were rewarded when they went to court as eyewitnesses. So you talk about it, and, and you, you've described it a little bit, but you've been, you talk about it in terms of eavesdropping. It's an intimate experience, but it also gives us personal power and social control. Yeah. How that's, does it do that? That's the trifecta. Uh, you do uh, eavesdropping, and you're likely to get all three of those. For one thing, if you just peer into, that is in some sense to trespass in, to the lives of other people, you're, you're getting automatically some intimate experience. You're sharing in some behaviors that they would not necessarily uh, display to you. They're behind-the-scenes things. Uh, there's a certain vulnerability there, which is associated with intimacy. And uh, so you get some intimate experience. It's kind of a virtual thing, but we get that from the media, too. We feel a lot of the same things in real life that we would feel uh, when we're watching the uh, same kinds of experiences on the big screen or, uh, you know, reading romance novels and that sort of thing. But in the process of getting that experience, we frequently see things that turn out to be of public importance. Think about the um, character played by uh, Jimmy Stewart in Rear Window. He starts out just looking uh, for fun, and then he sees a crime, and he reports it and becomes, therefore, uh, a public citizen who's responding to an initiative that you know all citizens should report crimes if they see them. He becomes personally important. His status rises in some sense for having played a role in that way. And there's also social, social control involved because now a person has reported what they've seen to the police and there's been a control as a result of that of the behaviors that were seen. John, do you think that eavesdropping, how does that come into play when you think about the reality TV today? I mean, isn't that a form of eavesdropping? You look at these people in their real-life situations and there's, you, know, you identify with them or you say, oh, you know, there's this kind of sense that, well, I'm, look, I'm eavesdropping, I'm looking in on people's lives and I can say, uh, you know, it gives me sort of validates what I do or don't do. Yeah, it, it does exactly that. Um, I mean, this is a behavior. It's one of really dozens and dozens from soap operas uh, and, and other forms of media. Um, it taps into that same drive to find out what's going on in other lives. It's there regardless of what the culture is like at the moment or what technology is available to us. Uh, eavesdropping is a very flexible sort of muscle, and it moves with the times. Um, so... People are uh, enjoying that experience of, of, of sort of puzzling, what are these other people like? What are they really like? What would they be like if um, I could see what they're doing uh, uh, in an unguarded way, when they're not aware of the camera? If they, maybe they'll forget about the camera, and I'll see something, a little scrap of behavior that will tell me more. We're, we're all like sort of private eyes in that sense, trying to piece together what people are like. But you're, but you're absolutely right. What do we get out of it? It's titillating, uh, but you know, we're also getting information. And no one has uh, given us a, a handbook as to how we're supposed to behave when we're in private. But we all have private selves, and we don't have models for those unless we somehow can find out what other people are like when they're behaving privately. You say, John, that eavesdropping is gendered. And so I always am curious about that, that men and women eavesdrop differently. Um, you know, what do you mean by that? How do they do it differently? Um, I think a lot of our listeners will know that this is true. Um, uh, 
uh, eavesdropping is related to gossip also, and uh, gossip is gendered uh, in a similar way. Um, I think that women are particularly interested in uh, finding out what other relationships are like or people in relationships are like. The, the, the possibility of intimacy in other lives uh, is, a, is a lure. And you can find evidence of this historically. Women uh, testifying in court um, in adultery trials of the things that they saw and heard when they were peeking through cracks. Um, and women have always had, more than men, a, a perceived responsibility of uh, maintaining uh, moral and sort of neighborly values, domestic values, and um, men less so. But men eavesdrop too. Uh, they do it differently, I think. Um, they're very much more concerned with uh, intruders uh, into the neighborhood uh, or people that don't look like they're from around here. And uh, they're more protective, I think, um, and probably more, certainly more um, inclined toward voyeurism, hence the laws that are called peeping Tom laws. So, in other words, is eavesdropping more socially accepted for women than it is for men? It's probably a little harder to spot when women do it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We're much more sneaky about it. (laughs) (laughs) And, in fact, uh, by the way, when you are spotted... Uh, it's not just that it's you are discovered doing something you shouldn't, but the experience stops. Um, it's no different from a, a sidewalk photographer trying to catch pictures of people as they really are uh, walking down the street. Uh, if the moment they notice the camera, it's over. They might as well just wait for another opportunity because it's not going to happen with that one. So tell us about your own experience in eavesdropping. I mean, I don't know if you really answered the question how you got interested in this whole topic. I mean, was this something that came out of your own personal experiences? <laughs> People, I think, are always hoping and maybe suspecting that it that it did. Um, uh, well, I do eavesdrop uh, in the sense that I'm curious. Okay, we're going to leave it at that. You do eavesdrop. Okay, I've, I've got you on that one. I want to oh, find yeah. out how you actually I'm happy to admit this all started. It. I but we're going to take a short too. break um, right now. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Talking to John Locke, professor of language sciences at CUNY in New York City and author of Eavesdropping, an Intimate History. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis. 
deal with celebrities and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. Uh, my guest this morning is John Locke, professor at CUNY. Uh, in uh, New York City uh, University, and he is author of Eavesdropping, an intimate history. So he and I have been talking about eavesdropping and the place that uh, eavesdropping has in history, which I guess is, is uh, we've just, he's described it as a form of communication. If you're just joining us, um, it is a uh, form of social trespassing, passing, as we've discussed, that produces a unique psychological thrill. But, okay, John, before we took the break, I said to you, how, you know, answer this. How, why did you become interested in eavesdropping? What's your personal, you must have some personal, personal experience defining moment when you decided, hey, you know, this is like uh, obviously a topic and a book that I'm going to write about, but it always usually stems from some kind of a personal experience. I know it does, and I'm willing to admit that I do eavesdropping, but I don't think I've ever done it in a more than sort of ordinary way of just kind of tuning in uh, to the people at the next table in a, in a restaurant or in the waiting room, especially uh, when you see people sitting across from you leafing through magazines, and you kind of wonder who these people are. Um, I think a couple of times in my youth, I um, did the more stealthy type of actually hiding and peeking, uh, but, but my real interest actually uh, was in the fact that um, we, nobody ever talks about this. This is the first book on the subject. Um, uh, people write about all kinds of rational uses of language and rational uses of the senses, and everything always seems very noble. But uh, but human beings are are uh, animalistic in some sense, and we do things that other animals do too, and uh, that is uh, tuning into what other people are are doing. Um, and uh, I used fish, to eavesdrop on my eavesdrop. parents. I'm admitting this to you. I when I was younger, because I wanted you know the things that they didn't want to talk to the children about, but I would kind of sneak around and try to listen to what they had to say. I mean, that's probably the earliest example that I would have of eavesdropping and getting information about what was happening in the adult world. And it did provide me with a lot of information I wouldn't have had otherwise. You know, fish eavesdrop, crayfish eavesdrop, birds eavesdrop. Uh, certainly the higher mammals eavesdrop like crazy, especially the uh, apes and monkeys. And it's even been found recently that plants eavesdrop. So how, do, how does a plant eavesdrop? <laughs> it turns out it's not hard. Um, uh, they don't normally know, I suppose, what other plants are doing. But uh, if one of them is, uh, is attacked by a plant-eating insect, uh, the leaf that's bitten into uh, gives off a chemical called a volatile and the other leaves uh, sense that uh, that this is happening. Um, I think it's true that all living forms of life have some that have a sensory system at all are aware of what's going on around them, and they they have almost no interest. There's no reason for them to be interested in things that others want them to know. It's the things that are that are happening um, that uh, that are. Um, 
not in their own best interest, should we say, potentially dangerous behaviors. And those are the things that uh, no one would ever volunteer. So how does that fit into today's social media? Because isn't that a form of eavesdropping? You know, we have Facebook, we have Twittering, we're looking at, you know, we get all this information uh, about people, some people whom we know about and others who we don't, but we are just, you know, tweeting and Facebooking and uh, blogging. Aren't those sort of forms of eavesdropping? Yeah, I think so. I think they are in the mind of the of the beholder, um, the people that that put their material into those forms are actually making a voluntary display of some sort. They're hoping that someone will will observe it, obviously, but it may be observed not only by the intended audience, but by these sort of lurkers that go onto these um, into these forums uh, looking for things. And um, yeah, they're they're doing. Uh, they're doing what people do when they read a kiss and tell biography. It's the same. It's the same thing. They're hoping to find some little shard, a little clue about what these individuals are really like, especially the ones that they aren't aren't donating. So, is this good for us? Is this you know put this? Is this uh, you know as a culture, um, as a society, is this a good thing for us to be doing? Let's, let's say with all this social networking and stuff, this eavesdropping, getting all this information. What do we do with it? How do we use it? Is it? I mean, well. You know, it it deserves to be studied. Obviously, I understand that you're a sociologist, and that's the kind of thing a sociologist would would love to uh, to look at: why people are doing it, uh, what they are getting out of it, and what other experiences they're not having because they're living in a virtual world. Uh, I guess the thing that uh, I wrote a book uh, in 1998 called "The Devoicing of Society," which was about possible effects of living in a virtual life uh, through social technology on our, our psyches, our, our friendships, and things of that sort. And I think you have to ask, uh, where is this particular behavior leading? If you if make a friend, uh, you've got a friend. Uh, you can now trade favors. You can do things for each other. There's real support there. That even affects physical health and mental health. But what happens when most of your friends are not really real? Uh, they're just photographs and names and things that you encounter. Uh, normally that would have been time spent socializing. It's hard to call that kind of behavior social. But it is a form of a different kind of social. It's, it's a different kind of social, a different definition of socializing, I guess. Yeah, well, you're hanging around with the images of people, but it's not really clear that you're connecting. Um, the, the motive may be to connect, but it's not clear that that there is connection there and, and what it really amounts to. I mean, are these people becoming more polite, more effective in their social relationships, more diplomatic, more fun to be around, wonderful sense of humor, or are they going uh, into themselves? I don't know if that's the, uh, the answer, by the way, but I, but I think it deserves to be looked at. Yeah, I have an experience, and, and I've mentioned this on the show before, but I kind of got hooked into playing uh, Scrabble online. And it kind of ties into what you're saying, because here I am playing Scrabble with eight or ten people, and I started kind of doing it too much and had to cut back. And I'm talking to, telling my boyfriend, oh, I just played with so-and-so in, you know, Salt Lake City or wherever it was. And I'm trying, he said, what is wrong with you? You don't know these people. You're just talking about them as if you know them. Uh, you know, you went on Facebook because you play these games with people who are on Facebook, or at least I do. And it was like, yeah, it's true. And, and as he said, you're spending a lot of time doing that. Isn't that kind of, I mean, that's a waste of your time. And it's not real. It's not, I mean, there's no real connection. So, yeah, there there isn't. I mean, 
you know, you, you know uh, probably better than anyone, that a friend has classically been defined as a person who will come to your aid in time of need. Well, are these people the ones that you can call and say, um, we just had a few people drop out of our uh, dinner party that we were going to hold on Saturday. Could you, uh, could you come <laughs> to our house, fly from Salt Lake City or wherever they are? Uh, no. Are, are they going to come to your daughter's wedding? No. Are they going to help you because you need a ride? No. Um, they don't know you. They don't owe you anything. Um, and you don't owe them anything. And maybe that's what people like. It's sort of... Uh, um, <laughs> There's the word invented some years ago, zipperless. I won't get into the rest of it, but this is kind of a this is kind of a tidy form of socialization. You can just click, hang up anytime you want. Yeah, well, I mean, there's some comfort in that. I think it's all a matter, of probably. I mean, it's you know this kind of form, this form of communication is here to stay. It's just how we balance it with the probably the what you call like real intimacy, having relationships in real-time, real-life, real people, the kind of person you can invite for dinner or to your birthday party or anniversary. There's a give and take, I think, is what you're saying. And uh, maybe we need a little bit of both. Yeah, I think that uh, there's an interesting thing about social technology. It's never what it seemed to be when it arrived on the scene. People decide what it's going to be. That's even true of the telephone. I mean, Alexander Graham Bell thought he was inventing something that would probably be used as an intercom system. He never imagined that people would have these things in their homes. And uh, or on the street, uh, or that we would have uh, all the other things that we've got today. But people decide what things are are for, and then they they use them that way. And the manufacturer sort of rides on the coattails of those discoveries. It's not as though they thought about all this stuff in advance. So it evolves. It's kind of a, is what you're saying. It just it evolves how we use this technology, um, and we incorporate it into our social structure however we do it and it may not be what it was initially um, set out to to be yeah. and then usually some social scientists step forward and they say hey this stuff's not good for your brain or for your cognitive development or your social development and then people either take that information in and do something with it or else they ignore it uh, or, or in some cases they try to outlaw the use of certain things by certain people but it's it's probably time uh, for people to um, to commission studies of this sort of thing and find out what's really going on. So, okay, we've got a couple minutes left. So what are we going to leave our audience with? What do we want to leave them with? What can we, you know, like if, when they read your book, and I'm not to say if they read it, but when they read the book, yeah. Eavesdropping, an Intimate History by John Locke, which you can buy online, bookstores everywhere. Um, what do we want them to get from the book, and where do, where do we go from here with this, with this whole concept? Well, the first thing I think they'll get is that this is an interesting behavior that human beings are like almost all other living beings that all they all eavesdrop we're not um to feel guilty about wanting to do this it's natural we have to teach children not to stare and so forth and that's because it's such a natural thing to do um we also say gossip is wrong but we do it anyway so the first thing is just to accept that human beings are not so different in some ways from other animals that we do some of the same things that they do. And uh, then I suppose it helps to know what the potential um, benefit is from doing this kind of thing. Uh, some, some people's lives, undoubtedly, maybe all people's lives, have, been, have benefited from uh, having information about how other people cope, what their, what their lives are like on the other side of the walls and when the guards are down. And there's inspiration there. There's inspiration in literature, 
for how we should live our lives. And there's information in the lives of other people as to how we should live. Well, it's been great having you on the show today, and um, I recommend the book. It's a great, it's a, it's really a great read, an easy read. Um, thanks so much for sharing us, and uh, have a great day. Thanks, John. Thank you, Catherine. It's been a pleasure. I'm Catherine Fox, your social worker with a microphone. You've been listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio, keeping you connected on air with information and conversation. Coming up next is an interesting story. Um, the author is Ellen Rogers. This is her first book, and the title of the book is Casey to the Rescue, the remarkable story of a monkey and a miracle. This is quite a story. This uh, uh, is about uh, Ellen Rogers, 22-year-old son who was in a car accident and left paralyzed from the neck down. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your teams. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Women in business today face many challenges in advancing their careers and reaching their goals. There are corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners that have made their mark in business. Now you can learn their secrets and tips. Listen to Women Mean Business as your host, Bonnie Marcus, explores how to thrive in the business environment, navigate the workplace, and climb the corporate ladder. Listen live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and effectively promote yourself today. Go inside the inner workings of the entertainment industry to find out what's next in television, film, and on the web. Listen for Next Stop Hollywood. Hosted by entertainment insiders and pop culture junkies Brad Roth and Mark Feldstein. You'll find out how your favorite TV shows and movies are created and marketed from the conventional to the creative. This fast-moving industry has much more behind the scenes than what you see. No matter how big the screen, Next Stop Hollywood airs live Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Left Coast, 7 p.m. Right Coast on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Um, Coming up uh, is Ellen Rogers. She's here to talk to us about her new book, Casey to the Rescue. Ellen is a former marketing executive, mother of five, mother of five children, and uh, lives with her family, two dogs, and one little monkey in Concord, Massachusetts. And this is her story and her son's story. Actually, it's her family's story. This is quite a story. Ellen, uh, 22-year-old son, was paralyzed and left with a severe brain injury. Um, of course, nothing would ever be the same for their family. But um, Casey 
and I hope I, I have to ask Ellen if I'm pronouncing this right, Capuchin? Capuchin? Yeah, Capuchin, but it's Capuchin okay. is also a, a, a pronunciation that people use. Okay, Capuchin Monkey, trained and donated by Helping Hands, and I've heard of Helping Hands, they do great work, um, Helping Hands Monkey Helpers for the Disabled, and this book is all about her experience with uh, with this particular monkey and her son and his disability. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Ellen. Well, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here to share a little bit more about Casey to the Rescue. And it's a story, as you said, it's about family and really about how our families, love and determination, really bound us together as we face the challenge of my son's paralysis. Let's, I want to backtrack a little, Ellen, you because bet. first of all, you, you got that phone call that every mother, every parent dreads. Um, you know, you describe it as one day in June 2005, are you Edward Sullivan's mother? Take it from there, because this is where the story begins. Well, that phone, when the phone, when you get that phone call, it's, it's, you just don't think it's ever going to happen to you, ever. And there the woman was from the uh, University of Hospitals in Tucson, are you Edward Sullivan's mother? And I said yes, and he, she said, your son has been in a terrible accident. Come now. And I was just frozen. I was just frozen. I mean, it couldn't be happening. Fortunately, maternal instinct kicked in for me, and I threw back my shoulders, and I grabbed my purse and my car keys and just took off to the airport. And thank God my daughter, my older daughter, Megan, was, I got her on the phone. She got on the phone with the airlines and got me a flight out to Tucson. So Now, you were a single Boston, mother. Were you so a single mother of five at that point? I am. You still are. Oh, well, yes, I am. I now have a son-in-law, and I have a little granddaughter, Grace, now. All right, so take us back to that. So your son, you go, here he is in the hospital, this and you know, young man who has been obviously 22, active, you know, typical 22-year-old, and here he is paralyzed from the neck down? Yes, unfortunately, uh, for whatever reason, we don't know because he doesn't remember, it, but it was a single car uh, accident at 10 o'clock in the morning. He'd been in class. And no one, we don't really know what happened, but he drove his car 40 miles an hour into a brick wall. It's it's possible that he fell asleep, his sleep apnea. So if that's one possible explanation. But the poor thing, um, he was a student, he was a senior at the University of Arizona, very athletic, very involved with sports marketing. And he, there he was when I got there at midnight, and he had every tube and the monitors, and he's on a ventilator. Um, it was really horrible. So here you are in the hospital. I assume he was in there for quite a, obviously a, a long period of time. Um, well, as a mother, what was you know what, what were you thinking? How am I going to you know because here you are now you're going to be a caregiver for life, um, and totally unexpected. Um, what were your feelings? I mean, what did you? At the time, all I could think of was that I needed to do whatever I could do for him. Uh, to help him recover, and I was a woman on a mission, and I think that a lot of my um, determination was driven by my desire to see my son survive, and also I found that I had suddenly had all of this incredible internal energy to make it happen. And so you so made it happen, Ellen, and you said the word you wanted your son to survive, 
but I'm going to add, it sounds like survive and thrive because it he wasn't has. Oh surviving. my gosh, he has done so well, and I really believe it's because all of us, and Ned's never give up spirit, and all my other kids and our friends, we've harnessed all the positive energy that we have, and really helped us move forward to meet the challenges that have come with this. And clearly in the beginning, and I think this is the case, I have, as we all do, have many of our friends and family members, they fall ill, they're aging our grandparents, our parents, our sister, our brother, and we find ourselves in this sort of position of being what I call an accidental caregiver. Okay, as an accidental caregiver, Ellen, you decided, you said you, as a mother, you just rallied your resources, you did what you had to do, you are going to help your son. How did you get connected? How did you get connected? You know, the title of the book is Casey to the Rescue. How did you get connected to Helping Hands and this particular capuchin monkey to come and to, well, become a part of your family in essence? We were in a a rehab hospital in Atlanta uh, called the Shepherd Center, and inexplicably the thought of a monkey came to my head, and I I, I don't know why. They were introducing us to dogs and a lot of other sorts of resources and and assistive technologies that would help us as we move forward with our lives. These are called service animals, am I correct? Yes. So Casey is, in fact, a service animal or a monkey helper. Um, She has been trained by an organization called Helping Hands Monkey Helpers for the Disabled for the express purpose of helping people with severe um, mobility impairment. They've placed, um, while they'll be 150 monkeys next week over the last 30 years, and the monkeys are trained um, to do a lot of very small but simple tasks. What kind of tasks do they do? And yes, do- they can turn the lights on and off. They can fetch a remote, a phone. Actually, Casey answers the telephone in our house. After two rings, if nobody picks up, she runs right over and picks the phone up and ha- puts it in Ned's hand. Um, for him, if he if he is going to answer the phone or whatever, she can put a CD in a CD player. She's been trained to go into a fridge and get a bottle of water, put a straw in it, bring that straw up to uh, the recipient's mouth. Um, she can scratch itches. One of the recipients that we know uh, has had the monkey trained to push her glasses up on her nose when they slide down. But in my son's case, uh, thank God, really, he's made so much progress. I will say that when we first got her, which was four years ago, uh, he is both, neither of his arms moved. His one, one of the fingers on one of his hands could kind of, he could kind of bend it, and that was how he got the, the peanut butter for the reward tr- uh, dispenser to, in fact, provide rewards for Casey when she uh, did her job right, uh, so that he'd asked so her Casey to do. Casey has been with you now for four years. That's a right. long time. Obviously part of the family, not just in terms of what, what, he or she is the monkey. Is it she? Oh, yeah. It's, she's a diva. Listen, she, this, this. She's a diva. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we have three minutes left till we, till we close, so I want to get this all in because I want uh, people to understand, you know, exactly what the relationship with the family is because not only does she do all these things, but she has a close, intimate relationship, obviously, with all of you. And what, let, what um, if we're going to leave listeners, what, what do we want to leave them with in terms of what Casey has done for your family and how it has helped uh, your son to become independent and do the kinds of things that he's been able to do and to accomplish. 
The first thing and most important thing that I think Casey does now for Ned, and really for all of us, is she fills an incredible void, a really huge void in my son's life. And, you know, frankly, Ned doesn't get out much, neither do I. Uh, the rest of our kids, you know, come and go, and his friends have all moved on. And he is here alone a lot, and it's with nurses and, you know, me and stuff. So this monkey has the human-animal bond that has brought these two together has made such a difference for my son. It has motivated him to wake up every morning and look forward to waking up every morning to have so that monkey be with him. If anybody finds themselves in this position, because we've got a minute left, how do they contact Helping Hands? What do they do? I mean, we, we'd like to be able to... Helping know. Hands, uh, it's, the website is monkeyhelpers.com. Dot org, and my website is Casey with a K to the rescue dot com. There's a lot of pictures and videos, and really a lot more of the story there. And of course, we'd love everybody on the planet to buy the book, and they will. <laughs> thanks oh, thank so much you. For, after hearing your story. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Oh, thank you for yeah, having great me. Great talking to you, Ellen Rogers, uh, author of Casey to the Rescue: The Remarkable Story of a Monkey and a Miracle. Hope you've had a great day. I'm a great morning. I'm Catherine Sox, your social worker with a microphone. You've been listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, have a good week, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.